You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the American Bar Association's annual meeting in Chicago, Illinois. We're here to cover this event and its highlights for you, our listeners. And joining me now is my pleasure once again to welcome on the air, Mr. Alan Pusey, who's the editor and publisher of the ABA Journal. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Excellent. So, no, thank you so much for coming by. We always love talking with you. And uh, I, I understand that the ABA Journal had a very important birthday this year. It's your centennial as of January. Uh, you turned 100 years old at the ABA Journal. That's excellent. Some days I feel like I lived every one of those years myself. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Very busy publication. So you guys had a, an event called ABA Journal Centennial Celebration. But before we get into that, I was hoping you could just introduce yourself to our the members of our audience audience who are less familiar with the ABA Journal and you. Well, I guess I'll start with the ABA Journal because that's the important part of this. But the ABA Journal is the magazine, the official magazine uh, member benefit for all members of the ABA. They get a subscription to the ABA Journal as part of their membership, but we try to make it a magazine that sort of reaches to all corners of the legal profession and all corners of the law itself. Okay, great. And, and yourself, a little bit about yourself. Oh, I've been in journalism for 45 years. Uh, I used to be an investigative reporter, turned to editing late in my career and kind of enjoy it. And the ABA Journal is one of the great places to do it. I've covered the Supreme Court. I've, I've covered courts almost all my professional career. So uh, it, it's been kind of a wonderful experience. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's get into the ABA Journal Centennial Celebration, because I understand this was an important event, uh, not only to uh, tell the ABA what you were about, but you had uh, some interesting speakers, and it was quite a foray, a party, so to speak. And uh, so let's get into that. Um, so th- the purpose of the ABA Journal, and I think a lot of people, when they see ABA, they assume ABA Journal and ABA are in lockstep, but that's not exactly true, right? No, it's not exactly true. Um, We're we're an independent voice. Uh, The ABA had, in 1984, the wisdom to create a special charter for the journal. So what they wanted was for us to have an independent voice to discuss uh, stories about the law, issues about the law, and things that were of concern to the profession. So we try to do that to the best of our ability, and uh, it helps make us honest brokers, I think, in terms of of uh, our discussions of legal issues. But more than that, I think it, it, it creates a, a special kind of voice for the a- ABA itself. We're not a house organ by any stretch of the imagination, but in, in some ways it, it validates the voice of the ABA uh, to people who maybe aren't members of the ABA, but to the members themselves as well. They feel like uh, they get an honest view of issues that we discuss in the magazine. Okay, so, I mean, just from my personal understanding, so you're not really accountable to the American Bar Association per se, right? I mean, so, like, if they don't like something that you're publishing about them or, you know, you say, hey, there's some something going on with the ABA, we don't like it, or you guys should be aware of this as attorneys, you're free to do that. You don't have to run through them for approval for your stories. No, but uh, like, like any other organization, we try to, uh, we listen. I mean, we, we try to listen to what the concerns are. Uh, just because we have an independent voice doesn't mean we're right all the time or that we catch all the nuances of the things that we write about. So uh, in, in addition to writing and being a voice, we also try to be an ear. And I think that's an important part of journalism all around. 
Agreed, agreed. I think that's a very important thing. So now, how many people do you have working for the uh, ABA Journal? Uh, we have 30 in all phases, everything from selling advertising and production to our staff writers, uh, our web content people, uh, designers of the magazine. We take a lot of pride and pay a lot of attention to the design of the magazine itself because we wanted an attractive product for our members to see every time they open their mailbox. Great. No, that sounds terrific. So now 100 years, I mean, that's a, that's a big stretch of time for, I think, any publication. But uh, what are some of the most interesting stories that you can recall covering during the history of the ABA? We've covered a lot of things. We've covered controversies about judges. Uh, we, we've covered scandals involving lawyers in Arizona, a prosecutor and, and judges there. But I, I think that probably the most important thing we've done, and I, I think it's instructive in terms of uh, the, the role of independence that we, we talk about. We started discussing the changes that uh, technology was making in the legal profession itself and uh, ways in which some of the old protectionist uh, influences of organizations like the ABA and other bar associations were beginning to break down. Not a popular topic, but it was one that uh, the change is real. Uh, we reported it as real. We reported the problems with it. We reported uh, the implications of it in terms of, you know, model rules of ethics and all that sort of thing. But I think over time what we've done is we've created an atmosphere in which the ABA can slip in and actually address it from policy standpoint. I think it's fair to say we're in front of that. And I think it's a, a good instructive view of the power of independence, uh, honest independence. Excellent, excellent. So uh, when we were uh, right before our interview, we were doing a little pregame, and you were telling me that the, the ABA's had the uh, privilege of, uh, I'm sorry, the ABA Journal's had the privilege of some very big names working for it uh, earlier in their careers. And oh, so yeah, we really have. I mean, one of the fun things about going back and looking at the history of the ABA Journal is that we, we discovered names that we never imagined. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for instance, oh, wow. was... Uh, uh, she was on our board of editors, as was Hillary Clinton, uh, Harriet Myers, who was nominated for the Supreme Court, and uh, Kenneth Starr. Wow. So. <laughs> That's great. So the 100th anniversary edition, uh, I've had a, an opportunity to kind of peek through it, but it's been a little while. So I'd like to bring that up. Uh, what, were some of the, uh, what were some of the stories selected for the, the 100th anniversary edition? Well, it, one of the things we've tried to do throughout the year is just use the number 100. Uh, for a lot of things, a hundred ideas of one sort or another. Uh, but we started, we kicked that off in the January edition with a look at uh, the hundred years of law. And what we did was we took each decade, we broke the decades down, not in the usual way, not the 20s, 30s like that, but from 1915 to 1924, 1925 to 1934. And what we did was we looked at the important legal stories in those decades and then tried to define a theme from that. And oddly, it didn't turn out the way we expected it to. Uh, uh, certain themes, like, for instance, uh, 1915 to 1924, you think of the Roaring Twenties, but what emerged from our view of, of the law during that period was the role of women uh, changing the face of the labor unions. Of, uh, they were, had an important role in the anarchism of, of the time and the anarchistic groups and immigration and emigration from the United States. Plus, women got the uh, ability to vote, the, the legal right to vote during that period. Wow. But it was part of that same, it was part of that process. It was part of their emergence in all these various legal areas. 
And so, you know, Victor Lee, your uh, legal affairs writer, I, I seem to run into Victor all over the place. You know, we travel around quite a bit at Legal Talk Network. Yeah, he's been a great acquisition for us. Oh, he's wonderful. I, I love, uh, sometimes he co-hosts with us on our special reports, which is what we're doing right now. And he asked some just incredibly insightful questions. I think I've run into him, obviously in Chicago, because you're based in Chicago, uh, at ABA Tech Show. Uh, I've run into him at in Stanford for the uh, National Summit on Innovation in Legal Services. Yeah. Uh, and so I ran into him there. And I think, I, if I remember correctly, I ran to him in Houston at ABA Midyear, mm-hmm. and also ran into you at yeah. ABA Midyear. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Now, Victor Lee, I mean, he's just one example. He's a great example, but, uh, you know, he was traveling to uh, United Kingdom for the Magna Carta, 800 celebration, and it seems that uh, you have a lot of traveling writers and, and all of that. So how often are they traveling? Are they traveling every week? Are they traveling, I mean... As often as they need to. Okay. Um, I think just from a, the standpoint of producing journalism, I think a sense of place, a sense of, of the people that you're actually talking to is important. So I encourage the, our writers to get out of their seats sometimes and travel, and Victor's taken me up on that. Oh, so. that's great. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think the journalism is better for it. I think so. I think being there, um, especially at the, uh, at the event at Stanford, the, the National Summit, it, I think it would have been hard to encapsulate that through you know, secondhand, thirdhand accounts. You know, we got into the room and you were listening to people exchange ideas. I think the exchange was really kind of the, for me, that was the story. You know, uh, talking to President Hubbard about that event uh, just recently, he came on to, uh, for an interview with us at, the, at, this, at this event, the ABA annual uh, meeting, and it was about uh, tearing down silos there, so right. all the different yeah. experts. So, but that was a concept I think would have been missed secondhand or thirdhand, like you say, you know, getting out of the seat to go cover the event. Well, and it's not just what they say during the event that's important. Very often, it's the impressions that you get from them afterwards when you have a chance to talk to people one-on-one. Uh, about what they thought was important or some nuance that you might not have picked up just listening to somebody talk from a podium. So uh, that's one of the reasons we think it's important to have that kind of close interconnection with the story itself. So, Alan, um, have you been doing a lot of traveling for ABA Journal since you started? Oh, yes. Um, so, uh, much, more than, much more than my wife would, oh, no. would like. <laughs> so what are some of the exotic places the American Bar Association Journal uh, sends you? You know, Boston, San Francisco. I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, Cape Cod, uh, go, going to Santa Fe, San Diego. The ABA likes to go to fun places. That's so. good. That's good. That is very good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, no, I'd be remiss. But I also go to Minneapolis and Kansas City and all the other well, places. Minneapolis, yeah, yeah. That's a, they got good They're food. Good, place. good food in both places there. Yeah, exactly. Been, uh, so, so I'd be remiss in my duties if I didn't mention that, that the ABA Journal has a couple of podcasts with us. We have Modern Law Library with Lee Rawls as our host and uh, Asked and Answered with yeah. uh, Stephanie Francis Ward. And so I'm just, and the reason I bring this up is because that's a, a podcasting forum and the ABA Journal is, um, is, you know, a written, for the most part written, but you've been in other mediums. I mean, you do, and you do audio, you know, you're doing, uh, you know, web, web uh, publishing. You're also publishing, you know, an actual tactile paper yes. <laughs> publication. So what are some of the area, other areas that well, you uh, reach out? I, I think a modern publishing platform has to reach out to uh, potential readers, to p- potential viewers, to people who want to intersect with your information. I think uh, you have to reach people the way they want to be reached. So uh, in order to do that, we have a website, we have newsletters that go out on a daily basis, a weekly basis, and a monthly basis on various topics. We have uh, apps that you can download to your, your mobile devices available to our members. 
we have, of course, the print magazine, which we take great pride in, and which is sort of the center of all of that. But uh, lately, we've also been reaching out in other ways, like through the podcast relationship with you guys and through live events. Uh, I think live events are becoming increasingly important to people. I think it's with all the digital touch, it's easy to be remote and feel remote, but I think people get a certain value in seeing the people like like Victor, like Victor yeah, exactly. Lee, who we talked about, to see him and talk to him and you know shake his hand. And I, I want to see more. I want to see us do more of that. We've sponsored hackathons in Boston and New Orleans, and we're going to have one in uh, sometime this fall in North Carolina. Okay. So uh, we're, we're we're doing a lot of that kind of thing. So. Do you guys ever come to Denver? No, I love Denver, though. I'd love to come to Denver. Well, we'd love to have you in Denver. <laughs> so, no, that's our that's our Legal Talk Network headquarters is in Denver, Colorado, Rhino Arts District. And so, but uh, yeah, I would absolutely love to have you if you ever want to come by that way. And, uh, office very friendly. Dog. We'll, we'll make it a point. Okay, good. <laughs> so, I have a follow-up question on the mediums. And so, you know, we're, we're moving into, this is the electronic age, and uh, we're moving into more of a paperless environment for, for everything. And so I understand, you know, your foundation, the anchor is the paper publication. Uh, so I guess, how is that working out? I mean, are you beginning to sell or distribute less of ABA Journal paper in favor of an electronic copy? No. Okay. No. Wow. Uh, one of the things that we've discovered in terms of our research is that people who take our magazine in particular, I think they like to have the tactile copy. Right. We've actually done some experiments, particularly with foreign subscribers, uh, in order to save the postage for uh, for the magazine. We've offered on an opt-out basis the uh, a digital replication of the magazine. And almost invariably, there's, there are many who will take that, but a high number of our overseas subscribers like getting a uh, tactile copy, a, a copy of the print mag magazine, even if it's three to six weeks late, depending oh. on where they are. So. Well, and the advantage of the paper copy is it doesn't run out of batteries. Yeah, that's that's true. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I think people like, uh, they, they, they like the permanence of it. They like the library feel of it. They like um, the, the, the notion that it's there to stay. And I think they also like to put it in their office. Yeah, no, I think it definitely looks nice. And, uh, and I know that uh, you put some extra time into the 100th anniversary, had some uh, special stock on it and uh, made it more robust and, and uh, a little bit, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember your words exactly when you told me about it, but to make it feel more textury. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we, we did a special cover. It's thicker than usual. Uh, we put a lot of thought into it um, If uh, for members of the ABA or people who have copies of the January issue. They should look at that cover really closely because they're going to find a number of layers built into the design of that. Plus, we added pages. We had, had a thicker stock. I, I, I wanted something that people could take and collect and hold on to and feel good about that. We also did something the year before that uh, building up to our 100th anniversary, 2014 was our actual 100th year. So one of the things, if members want to take a look at it, you take your copies from 2014, if you put them together and you look at the binding, you'll see the number 100 emerge over the 12 months. We put a little white thing on, on the binding each month. Uh, people probably didn't know what it was, but if you put all the copies together, look at the binding, you'll see the 100 that we built up 
wow, that, that I hope everybody's listening to that because that's kind of like uh, the Beatles uh, playing one of the Beatles <laughs> records backwards. <laughs> so, but uh, last I, question, Alan. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know if anybody would even notice it. Uh, and even though we did mention it in the December issue of the magazine that that we had done this, but I know that a hundred years from now people will notice. Because you know, I wonder if somebody ever like accidentally put it together. They they decided to put them on their bookshelf and just sort of put them in order. Actually, I had someone tell me that last night. Really? They said he hadn't had a, co- uh, a chance to read a lot of the copies, so he just kept stacking them on his bookshelf. <laughs> and he noticed the other day that it said 100 on it, and that just pleased me beyond belief. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful! That's a wonderful little surprise. It's, it's a little bit of serendipity for the readers. That's great. That's great. So, last question: uh, We got we're coming into a new year. You know, ABA annual has transpired, so we're going to have a new uh, American Bar Association president, uh, Paulette Brown, Ms. Paulette Brown, and th- going forward. So journal goes forward, too. And so what, what can uh, uh, readers expect going forward into 2016 or 2015 into 2016? I think they'll get a heavy dose of uh, law and culture. I think they'll get uh, that's very popular with our readers. But I, I, I think they're going to see an increase in the number of editorial projects that we do. One of the things I'm trying to do is to set up some partnerships with other journalism organizations so that we can do some really heavy-duty, in-depth reporting, uh, some computer-assisted projects, some deep dives into uh, statistical studies and that sort of thing, but some some really heavyweight journalism. So you'll get a bit of everything next year, which is kind of what we try to offer every month. Okay, because that question went so well, I lied. I have one more question. (laughs) So, Alan, so you said you're going to do It's permitted. Uh, oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, I, I don't know the answer to this question. Admittedly, I, I'm learning more and more about the ABA um, when I'm, I'm an attorney, but uh, unfortunately, I just never really got that involved with I was worried about paying my bills and getting a job and everything. And so, I'd get those ABA journals and you know, I'd look at them sometimes, but I, you know, I didn't really do the deep dive myself, uh, unfortunately. And so, um, do you, does the ABA ever cover cases, like high-profile court cases? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, the Arizona cases for, that I mentioned earlier, that involved uh, some misbehavior by a prosecutor down there. Uh, that's why we focused on it, but it, it involved Sheriff Arpaio and... Oh, right, right. What, what we, we tried to split off that which would most interest our readers. And what we looked at was the legal support that he got from for some of his controversial policies. Uh, through the legal system itself, through the prosecutor. Uh, That prosecutor ended up getting disbarred uh, in Arizona, and uh, Sheriff Arpaio himself is under federal investigation and is in the middle of a federal trial in Phoenix, in Maricopa County. That's a pretty big case. Yeah, but, you know, we, we don't do trial coverage per se, but uh, like do I mean, do well. Part of it is because of of uh, resources. Okay. I mean, we can't uh, for a really interesting long trial. That's a long commitment of resources. But it doesn't mean we don't look at them. Uh, Victor Lee, who you mentioned earlier, yes. we, we're using Victor's name a lot. I yes, guess. we are. But, Victor Lee. <laughs> but yeah, Victor Lee. Victor did a great piece on Dewey LeBeouf and the fall of Dewey LeBeouf. And even though we're not physically covering the trial, what we've tried to do is to put for our readers, put that in context. And the context is the history of the evidence about the fall of Dewey LeBeouf, what the partners actually did, what their communications actually were. And we try to do the larger picture so that people understand the context of a trial. 
Okay. Well, great. Well, Alan, thank you so much for stopping by. We're definitely reaching the end of our time here, but uh, if our listeners wanted to reach out and learn more about the journal, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can look and find our contact in the journal itself. Go on abajournal.com, and we have a whole list of contacts there, including my email address and probably my phone number. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Galetti. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.